Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up, she's known as Chewbacca Mom due to her wildly popular video, and Candace Payne wants readers to experience the joy of the Lord. She has a new resource available, and you'll learn more about God's work in her life ahead. And Jeff Allen is a comedian who allows his faith in Christ to influence the comedy that he does. You can gain a sense of what's contributed to his approach to making people laugh coming up. And Jill Hardy is a writer who desires to call attention to the true meaning of Christmas. She wrote a book a number of years ago, and now her desire is to spark a movement by offering her book for free and encouraging people to participate in a challenge. Hear what it's about on this edition of the podcast. And coming up on the intersection, from Far East Broadcasting Company, it's Ed Cannon, who emphasizes the power of radio to touch lives, something he's seen through the missions outreach with which he's involved. Plus, it's Michelle Yule. She wrote a book about the wife of Oswald Chambers. She incorporates Biddy Chambers and her husband into a work of fiction tied into the end of World War I and features a main character who's seeking to fulfill God's purpose. Finally, there's another court case about artistic expression and religious freedom, this time out of Phoenix, Arizona, where two artists are being limited by a new city regulation. Alliance Defending Freedom is involved in the case, and you'll get an update from one of its attorneys, John Scruggs. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Candace Payne's Facebook video went viral. She recorded herself wearing a Chewbacca mask and laughing hysterically. She's crafted a new six-month journal that is designed to help people experience authentic joy. It's called Considerate Joy, a six-month guided bullet journal. To explain, here is Candace Payne. It's a systematic way of organizing every single thing that you do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. You basically make these small little bullet points of the things that you want to accomplish. And there's actually a key in the very beginning of my bullet journal that I provide for how you write down your bullets. And if you miss a task, that's fine. I even show you a way to cross through it and move it forward and migrate it to the next day. Or maybe you find that I just need to delete that. That doesn't even belong on my balance beam today. I don't even know why I tried to put it there. Um, It's honestly just a systematic way of journaling so that you can customize the things that give you the most margin and space in your day to actually make room to consider joy. I think we forget that joy is not something we are innately born with. It is a consideration. It is an overflow of a working inside of us. And if we don't have room, I'm telling you, if we we don't have margin Mm. in our space in our day, we don't experience joy to the fullest. And I really wanted to give people a tool that they could use that whether they're crafty or not crafty, (laughs) and they could actually find themselves figuring out, man, there is more joy that I can allow in my day if I just move some of these things off of my plate. It's only six months. And then you find yourself leaping from that devotional into considering joy in that type of space from that topic for the month. So in one of the months, I talk about your health. 
Well, for that month, you're going to go through and I keep habit trackers. I say, take account of how many times you worked out today. How many times you take a walk? How many times you drink water? Then I give you blank spaces to draw and to journal and to do your prayers. And then I give you actual filling calendars that you don't have to draw yourself and come up with a, a layout on the page. It's always so scary and daunting for bullet journalers stepping into it. And so I really tried to guide you through your first attempt at bullet journaling, but to really have a purpose behind it. And it's to make space for joy. When you talk about making space and really building in margin, as you mentioned, in being involved in managing your time well, how does good time management actually factor into experiencing the joy of the Lord? Think about it this way. I I went to Israel in April this year, and I got to sit down with a practicing Jewish man and his family, and he said a lot of people think that the Sabbath is regulatory, that it just tells us what we can't do. And he said, I'd like to propose to you that it is a blessing from God that we get 52 days a year where we are uninterrupted, focused, resting, and we're providing space to connect with our family. We're, we're shutting everything else out, and we're actually engaging with God. And my thoughts are this. We don't intentionally do that, but God has set it up from the very beginning for us to find rest, us to find space, us to make that time to connect with Him. And if we're not even aware, and we're just hamsters, hamsters on a wheel spinning mm our wheels. <laughs> we don't find this, that we're even in crisis until it's too late, and we feel like we have a deficit and a lack for joy altogether. I know in the, in the book, in the journal, you talk about five things holding us back from our joy journeys. What are those? You know, I'll just give you a couple of them, because yeah. obviously I can write a book about it. But <laughs> <laughs> Sure, and you did. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think a couple of the main things that I discover that really hold us back are taking ourselves too seriously. You know, nobody thinks about you as much as you think about you. And I, I think when you, when you grasp that, my goodness, my, if I could just lift my eyes up off of myself and that this really isn't as big of a problem— and it's not as embarrassing as I thought it may be, or I don't really have to go through this amount of shame because nobody else sees me this way. There's freedom that comes for you to be able to experience joy. And then I think another big um, one thing that we really struggle with is is just comparison. Is do we have enough like like our neighbor? Do we um, do we do enough? Do we serve enough? Do we love enough? Uh, I'm just sick of that word enough altogether. Hmm. In all honesty. Um, it always sets a standard that we'll never be able to meet. And at some point you just got to realize my joy is dependent on the fact that I know that I'm worthy just because God said I'm worthy. And the way that you operate your day in and out, knowing that, you know, today I've been given my daily bread. Today I've been given enough. His mercies are new today. There's so much joy that can come in not carrying around baggage from the past or the future or what you should or shouldn't be or what you could or couldn't have been. It is just so good to live in the moment. And I think that we don't do that often enough. Candace Payne here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, Candace, C-A-N-D-A-C-E, Payne.me. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Christian comedian Jeff Allen. He's been involved in a number of projects, including the Gaither Homecoming, a presidential inauguration, the Make Comedy Great Again Tour, and the video presentations Apostles of Comedy and Thou Shalt Laugh. 
Recently, he shared with me about his comedy, his faith in Christ, and how that has influenced it, and more. Here now is Jeff Allen. Oh, everything changed. Uh, the minute I gave my life to Christ, I was 40 years old. Uh, I started in a 12-step program, and that kind of put me on a path of looking for uh, what they call the higher power. I didn't really understand that. I mean, I understood enough to know that God existed or he didn't. I did, I, at that time, I didn't believe he existed. But I saw what a spiritual world did for you know my fellow alcoholics, so I wanted some of that, but I just couldn't get my head around something I created. I used to say to people, look, if I'm making up a deity, that kind of makes me delusional, you know, and um, I don't know how that works when real life comes in, you know, like cancer, death of a child, loss of a job. So I searched uh, and I did seek. I sought the kingdom of God if it existed. And then um, over a period of eight years through self-help and new age and, and Buddhism and eventually human, I got into Ayn Rand and philosophy and Anyway, uh, I ran I ran into a man that put the Bible into my hands and uh, through a pastor in Texas named Tommy Nelson at that Bible. And the uh, of all books, the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, I was a pretty cynical, bitter, jaded uh, human being. I think the name they call it is nihilist. I was hmm. pretty, pretty, pretty uh, angry and bitter. And um, anyway, to read, it's all meaningless, you know, apart from God. At that point, my heart was ready, my mind was ready. Everything kind of melted together in one sermon, really, that day. And um, it was, uh, life without God will have no meaning. Without meaning, there's no purpose. Without purpose, you might as well commit suicide. And uh, I had had accumulated about uh, a year and a half's worth of Bible study tape. This guy had sent me every every two weeks a new envelope would come. I never listened to him for... And we had a friendship. Uh, this beautiful Christian man that God put in my path, uh, you know, would end every conversation we had the same way. How are you and your wife doing? At that time, we weren't doing very well. And he'd say, we pray for your marriage. Couldn't understand that. Didn't mean anything to me. Didn't matter to him. He prayed for our marriage, you know. And uh, later on, I realized what he did was a, an unselfish act. And uh, this man had no business getting involved in my life. He was everything I wasn't. And um, through his love and patience, and then eventually the uh, the gospel of Christ. When I when I heard that, uh, it just broke me. Um, when I realized that there was a true and living God, uh, it terrified me. I remember that. And he says, "What are you afraid of?" I go, "Well, blasphemy, cursing him, denying him. You know, why would he want me?" And if my friend goes, "Have you gotten to the cross?" I go, "The cross." He goes, "Oh gosh, Jeff, I can't ruin the ending for you." <laughs> you <know? laughs> And the uh, understanding of the uh, the faith and forgiveness from a, from an actual living living God was uh, uh, how could you not be drawn to that? Um, and I um, gave my life literally uh, gave my life to Christ, and uh, how that changed everything was just a new lens to see the world through. That everything has um, been created, designed. Uh, for a purpose. So even if I bump into someone that uh, rubs me the wrong way and uh, gets on every nerve I have, I have to eventually look at it as a, a creature of, of that divine person who created me. And um, he is to be loved and prayed for, just as I was probably rubbed my friend the wrong way, just as I was prayed for and loved for. So 
I think that that's what's missing in our culture today is really just grace, love, and mercy. Mm-hmm. And um, it, uh, what a shock. We, we punt that God out of our public uh, discourse um, 50 years ago or so. And, uh, and now we get, we've reaped the, uh, the, uh, the child of, um, of that. Um, we're sowing what we've reaped. And um, anyway, I'm, I'm hoping um, through what I'm working on now is this phrase called, I don't know if you've heard the phrase tikkun olam, but um, it's Hebrew for restoring the world. Tikkun means to restore, yeah. and then olam is the world. And uh, I want to restore the world, you know, my little part of repairing the world through laughter. Jeff Allen here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website jeffallencomedy.com. Well, next, it's Jill Hardy, author of the book, The Sparkle Box, A Gift with the Power to Change Christmas. She shared about the origins of the children's book centered around a Christmas tradition in which their family performs an acts of service, documents it in a box, and opens it on Christmas morning, offering it to the Lord. The book can be read online free during this Christmas season through December 31st, and people are encouraged to take the Sparkle Box Challenge by practicing the tradition and sharing the book's link on social media. From a recent conversation, this is Jill Hardy. You know, our family started a tradition a few years before the book was written of giving Jesus a gift on Christmas morning, on his birthday. And the gift is something that is done for someone in need, a gift of compassion. And then we would read that to Jesus on Christmas morning, presenting that as, as like an offering, like a, a worship almost, a, you know, a prayer. Dear Jesus, uh, thank you for coming to earth to teach us about love and your love. And um, we did this in honor of your birthday. We gave a water filter to a family so they never have to worry about getting sick from the water they drink or a pair of mittens to a homeless shelter so people can have warm hands because you know you want us to take care of the least of these. So that's how it started was the heartfelt transformation that we experienced, the joy, we wanted to pass that on to other people, and God gave us this little book to do it. So basically, you and your family got involved in helping to reach out to someone, and then on, was it Christmas morning that you actually wrote the story, put it in the box, opened it up, and presented it to the Lord? Well, yes, on the night before Christmas, we make sure that we have written down um, whatever we're giving to Jesus, and then we put it in the box, and then on Christmas morning, we open it up. So tell me how this story has really been incorporated into what became the Sparkle Box book. Okay, so the book was written one day, and it was a September day, completely out of the blue, when I wasn't thinking about Christmas or the tradition or anything related to gifts. And I truly felt called to write the book, and I never knew what that meant before when someone said they were called to do something by God. But um, I just sat down, and I wrote the words, the sparkle box, on a pad of paper. And at the time we did the tradition, it was was simply called our gift to Jesus. But the words, the sparkle box, came in my mind, and I I wrote them down, and I thought, well, that's interesting. And (laughs) I opened up my computer, and an hour and a half later, this book was written. And it was the most beautiful experience I've ever had. And I just know that it has a message that's meant for all of us, and all glory to God for that. The book tells a story about a little boy named Sam who's experiencing all the festivities of Christmas, and at the same time, he's also participating in some acts of compassion that he's witnessing his family do. For example, his mom and him, they drop off some groceries and blankets at a homeless shelter. 
And he discovers a sparkly box on his family's mantle, and he asks his mom about it. And she said, it's a gift that we'll open up together later, but we need to fill it first. And so he asks the dad about it, you know, a little bit later in the season, and he's wondering all Christmas season, what's in that sparkly box? And he's told that he's going to need to wait. So at the end of the book, I think um, readers and Sam are both caught by surprise from what they discover is inside the sparkle box, which is the acts of compassion that they did during the Christmas season. And his mom explains that those are gifts that were done in honor of Jesus on his birthday, and that every year they're going to think of a few things can do to be a blessing to someone else and present those as their gifts to Jesus. What you have originated this Christmas season in the Sparkle Box Challenge, people have the opportunity to share with their friends, especially their social media friends, the opportunity to be involved in acts of kindness. So outline for us, if you would, please, the Sparkle Box Challenge. Okay, the Sparkle Box Challenge is so simple. One, you go online to thesparklebox.com and read the book for free. You can read it cover to cover. Two, you do the tradition. And three, you share the link to the free book with three other people. And what we're really hoping to do is to create a movement of people that are putting the focus back on the true meaning of Christmas. I read a research report that was released last year by Pew Research that talked about how it's around 50% of Americans, now 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas, but only about 50% say that a religious reason is the main reason that they celebrate. Hmm. And when you look at millennials, it drops to 33%. And so when I, when I read those figures, I was, I was really floored, and I thought, well, what's going to happen to the next generation when the millennials begin to have children? You know, we're really losing the focus of what Christmas is all about, and so we're hoping this tradition will bring the focus back on the true meaning of Christmas and spread a lot of joy while we're doing it for both the giver and the receiver. Jill Hardy here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website, thesparklebox.com. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. Also, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast-receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more when you visit faithradio.org. You can also access the Meeting House homepage in the programming section of that website. Also through the Meeting House homepage, there are links to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and you can get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Ed Cannon is president and CEO of Far East Broadcasting Company USA. Recently, he discussed with me the way that God is reaching people through radio. He explained the scope and methodology of the ministry. Here now is Ed Cannon. Our initial founder was a radio communication specialist in the Second World War, setting up radio equipment for the U.S. Army, Navy, and Marines to be communicating in the South Pacific during uh, the Second World War. And they realized how powerful that tool is to defeat a common enemy, and so... When the war ended, 
he wanted to use radio equipment to broadcast the gospel into China, which is where we originally started broadcasting into. Mm. And we did it from shortwave sites in Manila in the Philippines. So the first country that FEBC broadcast into was China. And uh, from there, it expanded to the Philippines and then to Korea and then to Indonesia, Japan, Southeast Asia, and now Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan. And actually, we broadcast in over 100 languages, Bob, into almost 50 countries. Radio can get into places where missionaries cannot. Many of the countries, Bob, that we broadcast into, we hear from the listeners things like this. They'll say, you see, we have no churches. We have no pastors. We have no Bibles. We depend on radio to be the sole source of God's Word into our life. And we hear that all over. Uh, Many of the countries that we broadcast into, it is technically illegal to do what we do. Broadcasting the gospel is strictly forbidden. And um, it's becoming actually worse these days, Bob. Uh, China, Russia, India, Indonesia, many of these countries are having extremely aggressive anti-evangelical laws taking over. And what that's doing in many cases is it's pulling people away from the church, away from uh, evangelical gatherings, but it's driving them to the one and only source, as I said before, where they can get the gospel, and that's the radio. Something, and Ed, I know you heard it, and we heard it here for many years. There are those that began to predict the demise of what is commonly called terrestrial radio. Well, the fact is, and even some of the most recent statistics that I've seen show that over 9 in 10 Americans actually still listen to AM or FM radio during the week. And so radio is, and as you say, in in some of the situations that you're dealing with, radio is a medium that can go anywhere. So I'm sure you would agree that the prediction of the demise of, of radio was a bit premature and inaccurate. Well, I certainly would agree with that, Bob, uh, particularly where I've got some expertise in Asia and the, in the regions of Russia and those places. I see radio, terrestrial radio, being on the rise. It's interesting. Uh, one of the places where we do a lot of broadcasting is in Russia, and we have for some 50 years Um, we started in shortwave radio and it became very effective. And then we migrated to AM and FM radio in some of the larger countries some 30 years ago. And most recently, the government has clamped down on those AM and FM radio stations and forced us to the place where we've actually lost our license in large cities like Moscow and St. Petersburg. Now, people were still listening tremendously, Bob. And what we've done is shift that listening audience over to social media and the cell phone apps. Mm -hmm. You might think, well, you know, that agrees with the demise of radio. But interestingly, we recognize that in that country, they're pretty savvy about cell phone and Internet solutions. I mean, some people suggest that they've manipulated elections through that. I'm not going to get there. But what we are worried about is that someday Russia could shut down our social media access. And what we're saying on the social media broadcast as we speak is if you ever lose these signals, 
ask your grandmother and grandfather how to use the shortwave radio, and FEBC will still be broadcasting the gospel loud and clear, and it's an untouchable source all across the country of Russia, just like we were 40 years ago. Ed Cannon here on The Intersection. The website address for the ministry is febc.org. Author Michelle Yule visited with me recently. She discussed her book, A Poppy in Remembrance, set during World War I, and including marquee characters Oswald and Biddy Chambers, who are integrated into the storyline. From that conversation, this is Michelle Yule. Her father had been transferred to, to London just before the war began because the family ran out of money. She was yanked out of college. She was at Radcliffe. And they had, her parents had sent her to college, an only child, believing she'd be a history teacher. But while she was there, she was learning shorthand and studying languages and geography because she really wanted to be a foreign correspondent. So she wrangled away as a sort of as an intern to her father, typing for him and um, you know shorthanding for him. But um, soon there were too many men gone to the war, and she just basically became an intern and learned how to learned about journalism from her father. That she called it her internship. Um, one day, she um, and one of the other men who worked in the office were sent to run an errand and then told to kill some time. And they went to the um, the National Gallery of National Art Gallery in London, which is just down the street from Fleet Street, where all of the journalisms were. And they ran into Oswald and Biddy, who were Jim's um, teachers. He was a student at the Bible Training College working at the newspaper. And from there, she um, met them. Wasn't really keen on on meeting a preacher, but her father challenged her to find some story ideas while he was in France. And so she went to visit the Bible Training College just to see what it was like and was captured by Oswald's just relationship with God, his ability to explain spiritual truths in a way that just resonated in her during a very dark time in world history. So tell me just a bit more about her life and her worldview. She went into uh, journalism. How did, did her outlook change as a result of her relationship with Christ? Well, at one point, her father challenges her that she's not a very good liar. And she said, you know, I have run into a lot of trouble in my spiritual life as it develops over the course of the story. We see her spiritual life develop over the course of the story. And if if that means I can't be the type of reporter you want me to be, then I'll be a different type of writer. Um, She's challenged in several different instances um, with journalism where she chooses to manipulate rather than be honest about a situation. At one point, even her father calls her on it. Um, but that's part of what happens in your life when you, when you become a Christian. You, you stay in your old life, and yet you've got your new life coming. Um, I was a new believer when I went to college and became a reporter at UCLA, and I had to make some choices myself about how I'm going to cover a story. Am I going to be totally antagonistic towards these people, or am I going to really listen to what they have to say? You know, back in the dark ages when I became a reporter, we were told that you had to be very careful that you did not write your story until you could respectfully articulate both sides. And, you know, that we don't see that in journalism anymore. <laughs> say, but back that then, that's what I was taught. And Claire is learning how to balance that, and she learns that with her father as well. And uh, there's a balance between truth and judgment, you know, law and grace. I mean, it's all <laughs> kind of through there. That's great. So what sort of challenges did Claire face covering the war, in fact, the the novel is set in three different theaters of World War One. So what sort of challenges did she face? 
Well, she, as a woman, there were no female uh, foreign correspondents during World War One, so she had to be. St- she was kept back from the front lines. We don't really actually enter into actual war events until she's in Paris and in France, where she goes to the Somme, and she is there when a gas attack attack comes on a trench area, goes down into the trenches, has to put on her mask, and is pretty shaken by that. Um, she, when they were in Egypt, the war in Egypt was mostly fought in the Sinai Desert on the other side of the Suez Canal and up into Jerusalem. So she could not go there, but she could interview people who had faced that. And get into a conversation with one soldier who told her he was there at Oswald Chambers' uh, hut, YMCA hut, and he said to her, I'm going to you know, go up the line here and that may be the end of me, but I will always be thankful I came to war because that's where I met my Lord through Oswald Chambers. Um, that's a pretty gutsy way of looking at life, and yet someone said that to Oswald, and indeed um, a, a survivor of uh, Vietnam said that to me. I'm, I'm a military wife. My husband's a retired naval officer, and I was really shocked by that attitude that maybe the Lord brought me to this place so I could be saved and then mm-hmm. deal with my eternity. Oswald and Biddy were very conscious that those soldiers were teetering on eternity. They knew that the soldiers they were talking to in Zytune were either going up the line to Jerusalem or to France, and it was bloody. Michelle Yule here on The Intersection. Her website is michelleyule.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's John Scruggs, Senior Counsel and Director of Center for Conscience Initiatives for the Alliance Defending Freedom. He related information about a case involving two artists in Phoenix who were adversely affected by a new ordinance that infringed on their religious freedom, forcing them under the threat of penalty to produce art violating their deeply held beliefs. Here now from that conversation is John Scruggs. Two young women uh, meet at a Bible study. They have a passion to to make beautiful things. One's a, a painter. The other is a calligrapher. Uh, they uh, meet at a Bible study. They come together and they want to start uh, start a business, start the American dream, go out on their own uh, and do what they love. Uh, but they find out about this law that would force them to create artwork celebrating a same-sex wedding or same-sex marriage uh, it, because they also want to create artwork celebrating an opposite-sex marriage. And the law carries some severe penalties, uh, six months in jail, $2,500 in fines per day. Uh, and, of course, they also saw in the news uh, how other people in similar situations were being sued, being put out of business. Uh, Baronel Stutzman, the florist in Washington, Jack Phillips, the cake designer in Colorado. So faced with this decision, they really had no options, right? All they could do uh, in order to live out their dream is to go and go to court, challenge this law, and say, court, what are our freedoms? What are our rights? We don't think we should be compelled to write words and paint paintings that violate our core convictions. And that's really what this case is about. They challenged the law before it was applied to them, and that makes good sense, right? Yeah, sure. who, who wants to have to go to jail right. and pay enormous fines before you can actually challenge an unconstitutional law? So that's why these pre-enforcement lawsuits are typical. But they actually have received uh, requests to create objectionable artwork. They just haven't responded to those requests. And that's why one of the reasons they went to court, uh, or they one of the reasons why they need the court to answer this question is because they have these pending requests, and if they decline them, they violate the law. Uh, so you know, this is something that is, is of immediate urgency, uh, and they need relief for. Absolutely. And, John, we hear that these various municipalities across the nation are 
adopting these so-called SOGI, sexual orientation and gender identity laws. Is this Phoenix ordinance, would you consider it to be part of that overall family? It sounds like a very similar premise. Yeah, it is. It is. And in many situations, these laws get passed and everyone thinks, oh, these are great. Uh, There's no problems. But this situation and situations that we see popping up across the country highlight how these laws are being applied. And, you know, in this situation with these young artists, they're literally being would be forced to write words on paper to create artwork saying God celebrates same sex, this same sex marriage or God supports this same sex marriage. And that would obviously cut directly against their core religious beliefs about marriage. No American should be forced to do that, uh, regardless of your beliefs about marriage, regardless of your beliefs generally. Uh, we shouldn't force, for example, uh, an LGBT web designer to create a website criticizing same-sex marriage for a church or uh, a Muslim printer to print promotional material for an event celebrating a synagogue. Uh, all Joanna and Brianna, these two young artists, are asking for is just that same principle, the equal treatment that other people get. That's what they want in this case, the ability to control what they can and can't say. There was a, a ruling from an appellate court. Now the Arizona Supreme Court has agreed to take it. So, to, so walk us through that journey, if you would. Sure. Well, it's really kind of three levels. We filed a lawsuit at the lower court, which is called the Superior Court, uh, and unfortunately lost there, and then appealed that to the appellate court, which, which you mentioned, and lost the decision there. Um, and then we had to appeal to the Arizona Supreme Court, and that really is the final stop on the train. But the Arizona Supreme Court doesn't have to take the case. They, you have to ask the Arizona Supreme Court to take the case, which we did. And thankfully, they recently agreed to take the case, which I think is a good sign Mm. uh, to consider this important matter that doesn't really uh, doesn't affect just people in Arizona. But these principles go much broader to the entire country. As you noted, these laws are popping up all across the country, uh, and they really affect people. Uh, People of faith call us all the time and say, I'm going to have to leave my business or I I can't operate in this industry. I'm going to have to shut down uh, because of these laws would force me to violate the core of who I am. Uh, And so this lawsuit really is about that principle. Can people of faith enter into industries and and continue to hold their beliefs about marriage? Uh, And in a pluralistic society, that's that's something that we should cherish and desire and want to have happen, right? We shouldn't be Hmm. forcing people of faith out of industries because of a belief that people of faith have held for thousands of years. John Scruggs here on The Intersection. The Alliance Defending Freedom website is adflegal.org. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. You can get connected to video content as well. The Intersection Podcast is available through faithradio.org as well as the Faith Radio app. You can also go to the website meetinghouseonline.info. 
Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.